You know what we need? I, I know some things that I need, yeah. <laughs> I do, I do. What were you thinking? No, but you know what we need? We need, you know how when, when people go to see a, a sitcom and they sit in the audience before the show, there's, there's a comedian, usually a B-list or C-list comedian who comes out and does a warm-up for the audience. Sure. Well, we need one of those. To, we need somebody to come do a warm up for us, like to do a little, you know, so that so that when the show starts, we're popping, you know, we're we're ready to go. Well, I, that's possible, but isn't the isn't the warm up comedian for the audience? Yeah, but I feel like we need one. We need oh, one. Oh, okay. Show, so that when the show starts, we're we're like, hey, ready to go, you know? Because I think that's on us. Why don't we just do that? Why don't we just start? Telling things like that. Jokes. Hey! Hey! <laughs> okay. We'll give that a try. Um, How are you? It's good I'm, to see you. Uh, it's good to see you. I'm, I'm well. I'm still here drinking some coffee. You're having some beer. Um, cheers. cheers. How are you? Be beverages of choice. How am I? I'm good. Um, to, I have, uh, tomorrow I have to go uh, tour a, uh, a bottling facility. The day after that, I have to go tour a warehouse. Things I never thought I'd be doing in my life. It sounds like you've gotten to, in some kind of criminal activity. It does sound like that, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 I'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm a sopranino. Not the Sopranos. I'm, I'm too little to be that, but I'm a sopranino. You're working your way up. Working my way up. Yeah. Soon you'll be able to, uh, you know, be in a cargo plane or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, what are you doing? What, what was your week like? Oh, just working, just working, hustling, a lot of editing, um, and, um, trying to up my game on my research, get a little bit more, you know, intense on these notes that we take. Uh, I didn't do it, but I'm trying. You're trying. You yeah. thought about it. Mm hmm Did you, did you think about, you know, one of the things we talked about? adding last week was um uh the matchup for a movie what what this would be a good double bill for did did you spend time thinking about that um i'll come up with something yeah i i spent a lot of time thinking about it didn't come up with anything but but i thought about it so i actually That's just I came up with something i know exactly what it should be okay i came up with something too i wonder if we came up with the same thing i would double bill this with key largo Oh, okay. So you went you went with the weather theme. Well, locked room weather, yeah. Weather. Huh. I went with the parallax view. Just straight assassination themes. Straight assassination uh cover up conspiracy. That's thing. a good one. Yeah. That's good. I would do yeah. double bill of each of either of those. Uh so that would that would work. Um or, you know, anything released by Universal that has that logo at the beginning of the big, the big planet because of that shot used multiple times in this movie that went absolutely nowhere. Well, we're going to have a time talking about this then. If you think that's nowhere, let's 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 discuss. I think that's the beginning of nowhere in this movie. But let's 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 talk about other things before we get to the movie. Okay. Is there anything else we need to to cover for the week um, anything you're watching that is uh, interesting no i'm watching old movies for this podcast and the uh, and my other podcast 
I'm not up to date and I'm, I'm less up to date every minute and I'm enjoying that intensely. Okay. How about yourself? I'm watching, I'm watching a series called Borderland, uh, from Finland. That's, uh, pretty interesting. What happens in that show? What's what going happens? on? It's, it's a, it's a cop show. It's a, a guy who, who has sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the Sherlock Holmesian sort of memory palace idea. You know about that? Yes. People who, who can build this thing called a memory palace yes. in their minds. Uh, well, it's about a cop who has a special skill with that, uh, who is, a major crimes cop in Helsinki and things start getting to him. So he retires with his family to a small town thinking he'll be able to get away from things. And guess what? Things are pretty rough in that little small town too. They're just as disturbing. Yeah. There's so probably a serial killer there, at work. There's things like that going on. Mm. And it's a, it's um, a border town on the border between um Finland and Russia because they share a border there up in the in the hinterlands and so there's sort of cross-border Russian mob crime going on as well uh so you know hilarious hijinks and cheerful time wonderful and especially since it's Finland it's even more more cheerful uh are they not cheerful it sort of makes Strindberg look like light comedy you know, it's well, I'm sure there's some people in Finland who are having a grand time. If we have any fans in Finland, uh, no offense to your great nation or your the, your lifestyle. No, it looks. I'd like to make I'd that like clear. To, my brother I'd is uh, like uncaring. Spend... <laughs> I'd like to spend time <laughs> well, there. You're not invited looks... now. <laughs> oh, no. It just looks like you guys have a little bit of sad, um, and by sad I mean seasonal affective disorder that you you don't get a lot of sunlight. And I think what they would say is by that, they mean that they are rationally thinking human beings who are able to deal with sadness and melancholy in an appropriate way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As opposed to trying to be uh, Americans who just laugh in the face of the demise of the entire world and pretend it's not happening. Glad we're not doing a political show. (laughs) That was a good choice. Okay. Let's move on to the movie. That was a great choice for us. Should we move on to the movie, perhaps? Well, I can't think of anything exciting in my life to tell you about. I've okay. thought, I've racked my brain. I've tried to think of something cool. I haven't even finished watching Squid Game, so I, wow. I'm useless. Wow. Okay. Useless. Okay. But I saw, I did see Casino, not Casino, I saw Battle Royale, so, you know, I, I paid at the office. Okay. All right. There you go. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about this week's installment, uh, Rashomon. I mean, um, Snake Eyes. Did I say something wrong? You made a face. No, I was for, laughing. For, for the people on the podcast, he made a face. I have to tell you that he made a face because although he's claiming that he was laughing, there was no audible. Well, I didn't say anything because yes, I was waiting to see where you were going to go with it. I, I th- th- I'm already concerned. I'm concerned. <laughs> You're concerned about how I'm this con- evening is going to go. A, a, a little bit. A little bit. Um, yeah, because I'm not going to hold back. Well, nor, nor should you. Okay. We're talking about Snake Eyes, uh, 1998 Snake Eyes, uh, directed by Brian De Palma and starring uh, Nicolas Cage, Carla Gugino, 
and uh, many, many other people. Uh, Louis many Guzman, Louis Guzman's in it. Louis Gary Spoonspo. Sinise is in this movie. Yeah. Um, who are some of the other actors you might see in this movie, oh, Matthew? Oh my God, uh, John Hurd plays Donald Trump mm-hmm. um, in it. Um, the uh, Carla Cugino is wonderful, but she's young. She's twenty-seven, so a lot can be excused. Um, there is the triple play of Luis Guzman, Kevin Dunn, and Michael Rispoli, who great stuff. Th- that triple play makes this movie worth watching, right there. Uh, Tamara Tooney, Chip Zine, the great Chip Zine. I don't know if you know Chip. I know Chip from oh, never met Chip. Know. Everybody I know knows Chip, and I'm I'm out in the cold again. Terrific guy, Mike Starr, who uh, I worked with on some show at one point. Um, David Anthony Higgins, and a pair of those guys, um, or that's guy, or however you want to make that a plural. Uh, Peter McRobbie and Joel Fabiani um, show up. Okay. And, uh, um, did you did you mention Stan Shaw? I was going to get to Stan Shaw uh, because he has what we'll get to is my favorite moment in the movie. Yeah, mine too. We're um, we're all on the probably on the same page about Kelly, a lot of it. Kelly Deadman is in this movie. I don't know if you knew that. No, didn't know that. You know Kelly. Sure. You don't know Kelly? Why from not? The, from the voiceover from sure. Voice Over Land. We're Mar- friends. Married she just switched over the house. Yeah, married to Victor Verhage. My um, buddy, we have pizza together every yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, no, Kelly's wonderful. You're talking then, to post-pandemic, Tony. I don't know anybody. I have, you're the only person I talk to. And then my other favorite performance in the movie, Alain Goulem, who's the video tech who operates the flying eye. He's who good just actually seemed like an actual video tech that they stuck in the movie. I'm yeah, he did. He did seem that way. Um, so yeah, so so Snake Eyes, 1998. I didn't I didn't give a good goddamn about this movie when it came out, but uh, I didn't the really times have changed apparently. Well, I didn't see it when it, I haven't. I never. I've not seen this movie. I I when it came out, I thought it was. Um, I wasn't kind of uh, it was I was out of a F- De Palma phase. I, okay, I was uh, much less interested in his in his big budget stuff, and I like his early horror. Generally, like his early horror movies a lot. Okay. And then I wasn't as big a fan, but I've come around on that to to a large extent on a lot of his movies. And um, so I didn't see this because I thought it was about gambling. Really. I mean, it kind of is a little bit about gambling, but I thought the whole movie was about gambling. I'm I'm not really that interested in gambling movies, so I gave it a pass. Did you see this before? No, no. Why do you say that? Why didn't you see it? You like gambling what? movies. I'm not a Nick Cage guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. A, I'm not a Nick Cage. Do you like movies? I'm trying to get an idea <laughs> of what you what what it is about them that you like but <laughs> i well you know here's the thing you know there are people who are like i love dogs i love dogs i love dogs you know those people a lot of people like that right they love sure. dogs i don't love dogs uh there uh, I, I don't love people there are people that i love but as a whole like i can't say people the race of people are all great there are yeah. great people there are horrible people 
Well, people include, uh, you know, bad people. There are dogs that I love. There are uh, most dogs. No. So movies fall into that like everything else. Um, There, there are movies that I love. Yeah. That I think are well crafted and but but see we talked about this a little bit last week. You no, just love you just love movie like it's it, it, I do it's movie. Well, it was made with with film and pieces were put together. I love it. Oh yeah okay. Well, you're kind of implying that I have no taste at all. No, but no, I no, you know no. but I. Okay, great. Let's let's continue. <laughs> let's continue that. talking about a, a director who you didn't you didn't know until last week. Did you you'd seen Carlito's Way? And I you, I loved Carlito's Way. Yeah, it's very atypical De Palma movie. So you're clearly not a De Palma fan. And uh, I liked um I liked uh, didn't he direct The Untouchables? Yeah, I liked that movie. Well, you and uh, you you and a lot of other people. And won yeah. a lot of Oscars. I mean, yeah, a lot of yeah, people like it. There you it. go. This movie didn't match up to that for me. That that standard that he met in those two movies, this this movie didn't hit that. But yeah, okay. we should fill people in maybe a little on what this is about before we start ripping it to shreds. Go ahead, take it away. What's oh, it about? Oh, I have to do it. Okay, it's about a um a corrupt cop in in Atlantic City who is just on the take from everybody and loves it. Loud, brash, Hawaiian shirt-wearing, graft-taking cop, gambling, loves being on the boardwalk, loves the opportunities, married but has a a girlfriend. And uh, it's the night of a big, big fight in Atlantic City at Donald Trump. I'm sorry, not Donald Trump. uh, John Hurd's new hotel casino that is opening and there's a big fight going on and coming to the fight is the is he the secretary of state or the secretary of defense I, secretary I, of defense secretary of defense the secretary secretary of defense is going to be there along with his big security detail which for some reason is being run not by the secret service but being is is being run by an uh an uh, an admiral or something like that by the name of Gary Sinise. I'm sorry, by the name of Kevin Dunn. Not the Kevin Dunn, the actor who's in the movie, but the character just, Kevin Dunn. It was confusing for production too, apparently. Gary, yeah, there's a good story about that. Um, but, um, and then of course, there's an assassination of the, um, of, of the Secretary of Defense and it's all tied up with some new missile system that's got to go through. And there's a lady in red and there's a lady in white. I, I didn't get the symbolism there of those two things, um, but we can talk about that. And lo and behold, it turns out that that um, Nick Cage's good buddy, um, the military guy who is supposed to protect the secretary of defense was actually in on the plot to kill him because Carla Gugino was a lowly tech operative on the testing for the missile system and discovered flaws in the system and was getting that information to the secretary of defense and the new missile system was not going to go through and Gary Sinise wanted the new missile system to get go through so he engineered the assassination of the Secretary of Defense and Carla Gugino, the lowly tech operative, 
and um, is going to kind of engineer Nick Cage to either help him cover it up because he's so corrupt or be the fall guy. That, that's in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, that's a big nutshell, but that's in a big nutshell. nutshell. But that's, that's what the movie's yeah. about. And it's told uh, in real time with uh, with repeated sequences that we see from another point of view when we see them the second time to to ostensibly give us new information yes and you were not entertained you are dismally upset and you feel like this was a waste of your time um i this doesn't work for you and you don't it, like it it did it, 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 it did not work <laughs> no. let me let me be frank it did not work for me um lo- largely because of nick cage who I think um, I think Nick Cage when he's when he's is overacting when he's not overacting. So casting him as somebody who is overacting and trying to be larger than life is 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 redundant. So uh, that twenty minute scene of him that that one shot, which was actually many shots with whip pans and things like that. Um, it, 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 it irked me to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I, I didn't, I didn't buy him at, at all. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's Nicolas Cage. So that's a funny thing to say to me. That's like actually just a funny statement you just made. But what fun? Okay, explain why is it funny? Because you never buy Nick Cage. He's not supposed to be bought. No, absolutely not. I am. I. I. I am. I am wildly entertained by Nicolas Cage most of the time. Um, I don't. I. I seek out movies of his to see. Um, he's one of the few actors that will actually bring me to a, a film. Um, not yeah, always. Yeah. Not always for the right reasons. Um. <laughs> Or the purest of, of motivations, but okay. See, there we have it. No, we don't have it because <laughs> I love it, it and I love what? him and I want to and I want to see what he does. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know I I I I do love movies and I love I love watching you know uh, people go crazy in films. And Nick Cage, Nick Cage goes crazy. He does it good. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, okay, he's, but... he's, you know, I, I, I don't think that it's recommended to act that way, but I think when he does make a case for it for me, so. Huh. But, but see, I, I, there are people who I like watching go crazy in movies too. So for instance, um, Adam Sandler in, um, Uncut Gems, it's fair to say he goes crazy. Yeah, but that's a really, that's a, that's a comparatively very mild performance compared to Nick Cage and Snake Eyes. It's very naturalistic, <laughs> real performance. Okay. I mean, I, you know, Nick Cage is not doing natural. You can't really compare that at all. The styles are t- completely different. And I, I feel like Nick Cage is, is, you know, for the most part, synced up to the crazy operatic, you know, like incredibly cheesy, you know, uh, luxury filmmaking on display here too i think it i think it matches it perfectly so i think that having somebody more serious in that part who you believe more would tank the movie the other way Ah. i I, you know 
I mean, this is this to me has more in common with a, with like a Batman movie than with anything else. For instance, it starts with the you know the globe for the Daily Planet is the first thing I thought of when I saw it. Right. But, okay, but would I you, will. Yeah. But go but, ahead. but picking up on what you're saying about the operatic and the larger than life thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which I get. Would you would you say then that that what Pacino is doing in in Carlito's way is a similar is in the same vein of a larger than life operatic performance? Yeah, I mean it's a it's Pacino's style, and I think it's more. It's I mean don't forget Nick Cage was the like one of the first serious actors who was desperate to play Superman. Right. I mean, he 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 wants. He's like an Elvis fan. He's a pop. He's got a pop sensibility about him, and you know, I just um, I I I I'm you know, I can watch. Okay, my friend Maple Dragon says, "See, this is where we can have a respectful bipartisan discussion where we can reach across the aisle." Pro Cage, Angie Cage coming together. I don't think so, Maple Dragon. Peter, that's not what's not what's going to happen. This is going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be ugly. <laughs> started disrespectfully about some <laughs> incredible filmmaking i feel like we started on the wrong foot here um because you know you you start off like complaining about nick cage and i can get that if you're if you're not into the cage if you're not into the cage you know i'm not you don't want a cage not, match it's, it's just not, not your thing be, it's not because i don't like the larger than life and operatic like i love it when when pacino does it because I don't. I, That's where we differ. I think it's usually lousy when Pacino does it. I liked it okay in Carlito's way, but any hoo-hawing from him, I'm turning the channel. Ooh-ah. Nick Cage. See the thing about Ooh-ah. Cage. The thing about Cage is that like half the time, you spend uh, just being amazed that somebody has the audacity to do what they're doing in front of people, and 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 I love that that extremeness of it. Uh, I don't love it the way that I love you know like. But I don't, when I watch Nick Cage, I don't see it as audacity. I see it as lack of any kind of awareness. Audacity to me um, uh, implies an awareness of where the line is and where acceptable behavior is and and making an active choice to be audacious. And I feel like Nick Cage is just uh, a crazy man. I completely disagree. I think Nick Cage created his own brand. I think he created his own franchise and he is consistently delivering um, entertainment. We're talking about a giant movie star. We're not talking about like someone who's doing O'Neill at the Cherry Lane Theater right now. We're talking about a giant action movie star who was in some of the silliest movies ever made and he knows it. And I think he commensurately entertains himself and takes on a very, I mean, it's like, it's like a Warner Brothers cartoon. It's, it's very, it's not real most of the time, even approaching it. It it is seemingly very attention grabbing and, and, and manic. And it's all those things. I can't condone it. I can just say that I'm really happy he's making movies because it would be, Cilantro, uh, Maple Dragon says he's the cilantro of acting. You're either genetically disposed or not. Okay, that makes that makes a kind of sense. Look, I mean, I don't. I, we could talk. I think it's rough that we're that you agreed to enter into a a, a show to a Nicolas Cage month. 
which we're looking, we're staring down the barrel of that. And you were fine with that when, when I suggested it. Yeah. So you basically just want to drag him through the mud. And may I say, our brother is friends with Nicolas Cage. And, you know, what if he's watching this? That's pretty rough. Oh, Jesus. Nick, um, I, I'm sorry. And here's the other thing is I'm willing to be educated. And I think, Anthony, I, th I think you'll attest to the fact that I'm willing to be educated because we have not seen eye to eye on things and I've come around. You have. You have. You're not intractable. And, and there are there are Nick Cage movies that I've watched where I've loved him and thought he was extraordinary. Okay. Name one so we can at least have some positivity on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Moonstruck. Okay. Mine would be Raising Arizona. Love that performance. Um, you know, I mean, I think... I think it's a dead-end street talking about Nicolas Cage's acting because I think Maple Dragon's right. You either... You either... You're kind of, like, along for the ride and, and you are genetically predisposed to, to enjoying Nicolas Cage's movies... Cause I'll 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 go watch the the, the Wicker Man remake tonight. I I will. You're you not going to do that. You're saying you would. You're saying you would, but you're not going to. We're not going to hang up from this show, and you're going to go watch the Wicker. You Man. don't really actually know that. I might. That's not. I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm going to call you tomorrow morning. I'm not making any promises. I'm just saying that it's, it wouldn't be completely out of character for me to spend the the, the two hours after we do the show watching, for instance, the, the re remake of Wicker Man. Okay. Um, I, I, I okay. Yes. Uh, it's a little dangerous to start talking about a De Palma movie, and and to start with the acting. I think that's generally considered maybe the, the not the leader, not the lead, or like don't that don't lead with that. Because lead would be acting in a De Palma movie. It's not generally considered to be the reason you go to a De Palma movie, and 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 if you're a fan of De Palma's work, I don't really feel like the acting in his movies is is what you're always really a big fan of. Maybe not, but I'll return to to the Untouchables. There's some performances in that movie that I love, that I adore. Okay. Uh, Frank Nitti. The guy okay. who plays Frank Nitti. I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh, again, you could argue that the, I mean, Untouchables, as as it, it's definitely later period De Palma, but it's almost like not like a De Palma movie in some ways. So you let you tend to like the De Palma movies that aren't that are a little bit less De Palma than the others. And I like the really De Palma ones. The really like, De Palma. Ones. I like the most De Palma stuff that you can get. <laughs> I like more than the ones that are more respectable. Because okay. I think him at his at his sleaziest is him at his most honestly De Palma. Okay. And and when he tries to be like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of more mature in Hollywood, they could be great. Untouchables is great, but you know, I just like the I like the I'd rather see Nick Cage screaming in in Snake Eyes than the Untouchables. Okay. Now, the performances surrounding Nick Cage in in that long 20-minute sequence at the beginning, the one shot, right? Yeah. There's some stuff in that that I adore. 
I uh, tell me what it was. I was so enthralled. I don't care what the performances were. That's the thing. Like I don't. Uh, who, who, I wasn't even looking at the performances. I was so completely blown away by the filmmaking chops on on display here that the acting was like, who ca who cares? I don't care who's talking. Who gives a shit? That's how I felt. I mean, so so in a way, Nick Cage couldn't ruin it for me. But who 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 did you gotcha. think was great? Uh, L Luis Guzman in oh, that in that fantastic. sequence just just takes it away. It's fantastic. Um, he steals people's lunches all the time. Luis yeah. Guzman, he's uh, just incredible. Kevin Dunn again. I mean, everybody's in. Everybody is in that shot. What, you mean Gary Sinise? No, I mean Kev. I mean the actor. I'm Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, the actor <laughs> Kevin Dunn, not the character Kevin yeah. Dunn. But then there's Gary Sinise, who, whose, whose face in this movie, looks like, um, a Hirschfeld caricature of his face. I mean, he looks drawn. You know, his hairline, his eyebrows, his chiseled everything. It, he looks He's like a guy. The he has eyebrow raising here that is world dominating. It is incredible what he does with his eyebrows. Yeah, and the moment where you realize that he's the bad guy, his I think look it's, that it's he gives the to best, Cage, it's the best crafted moment in the entire movie because so often that moment where you realize, oh, the guy we didn't know was the bad guy is actually the bad guy, is often so heavy handed. And it was just a little look in this, to me. I love that moment. I thought that was a great, great I moment. didn't expect it. I did not expect him to be the bad guy. Um, um, and I thought that was really well executed. He's well done. It was well acted. It was, well, yeah, it was, re it was really, it was a great moment. But So he, he gets to do some great stuff in this movie, Gary Sinise. He gets some great stuff to do. And then he has to do the last scene that he does. And my heart broke for him in that last scene that he had to do that. He got paid. Don't be too sad. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. But my heart breaks for the whole for everybody because it's not I mean, you know, that the whole ending of that movie was a mess. And Maple, my my buddy Peter sent me an article um, right before the show uh, which i got a chance to kind of look at about how there was a big tidal wave at the end of this a cgi tidal wave and a hurricane uh, you know uh there's a hurricane throughout but it's kind of not really part of the plot too much now in the original yeah. cut there was like a whole and you know end of days <laughs> tornado yeah. and and then they had to cut all that and and basically and basically just left Gary Sinise to just kind of like go uh, and yeah, fall yeah. dead. It was and really embarrassing. Still, there is still dialogue in the movie referencing the sequence that was cut out. Yeah, yeah. When, it, when Nick Cage has to talk about the dream, the dream and remembering feeling like he was drowning. Yeah. Well, that sequence is gone now. So what are you talking about? Well, it's it doesn't. Yeah, that there's there are some problems <laughs> with that second half, and I will never ever try to tell you otherwise okay all right oh thank you the thank movie you. the movie completely falls apart and and but I, but i was i was so sad that it did that's the difference between us i 
I the first half of it just I was in I was just like you were in heaven rolling around in in a, like a pig in mud. I was just so happy. It you know because it in a way I appreciated not having to pay attention to the performances because overall I I really wasn't particularly enthralled with the acting in this movie. It wasn't wasn't like my favorite part of it. It's not the most notable thing about it. Um, I you're, think an acting, my, you're an acting teacher, right? You teach acting? No. Oh, okay. No, you must have me confused with somebody else. <laughs> um, I also teach filmmaking, though, and I think That's that true. I think that acting is uh, acting in film is uh, is an, is an, I think that they are that they should be cattle when they're when when it's time to be cattle. <laughs> and then when, the, when, it's, when it's not, I'm going to get a T-shirt that says it's time to be cattle. Um. No, what I'm going to say is that I feel like uh, acting gets the front row seat in the discussion about a lot of film. And I don't, I, it doesn't for me. It's not, it's not the reason I go to movies. Acting in film isn't the thing that excites me most about movies. It excites me most about the theater. Right. And well, it depends and I'm going to agree actor. with you on that because it wasn't until I started directing theater and, 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 and working uh, at, at a film school and talking about directing film and really looking at that. It wasn't until I started doing that where I realized how much of a backseat actors really, not how much of a backseat they're in, but, you know, as growing up as an actor, I always thought I'm the tip of the spear. It's all about the performance. And it was only later that I started realizing, you know, it ain't all about the performance. The performance is a little piece of a whole bunch of storytelling that's going on. And it, it wasn't until later that I started to really realize that. So I'm with you there. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm just weird in the sense that I guess maybe it's weird. I, I don't, actors don't draw me in to go to the movies. Directors mm -hmm. do. Directors, cinematographers, writers um they are the ones that make me go to a movie very few actors will just will you know I'll, I, let me put it this way i'm talking about going to the theater like oh i'm excited about a new movie right it's not gonna be because of the because of the actor like 80 percent of the time for me it's gonna be about other things it's gonna and be I, the dp and the filmmaking more than anything for you right the, yeah the director the shooting the, the 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 writing you know sometimes the craft service things like that well that's good it's good that we get to argue then on this show because for me it's the acting and the plot more than anything else i and, think and, that's great for theater and books but not so much for movies it's and not i essential. sort of but i sort of look at the at the cinematography and everything else as in service of the plot in service of the story rather than an end in itself I think that I agree with you to a point, but to me, I would say it has to be in service to the theme and not the plot or the narrative as much as the st or the story. Okay, I'll go with that. Because I think the the plot of this movie is stupid. I, I don't care. This is a dumb. This is a, I'm sorry, David Kep. This is a stupid script, and the changes that you all had to make to work on this difficult production with your removing her, hurricanes. It, it's 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 quite stupid but it's also okay but before really you, men... i agree with you but before you go down that road we just have to give a nod to david kep who has also done some 
amazing stuff. He's he, he has, but he's one of the yeah. biggest, highest paying writers in Hollywood. I don't know. Okay. I don't. No, we he doesn't need me to be a yeah. fan of, of no, his work. We can, we can talk about what a terrible thing this is. Yeah, that's like me talking about you know whether I like the Beatles or not. Like who care? Everybody likes the. Who cares what I think? They have enough love. They have enough affection. Um, so anyway, I, I feel like, uh, you know, um, to, to, to go to, to go to Snake Eyes and to, and to go through that, the first 40 minutes of this movie, which, which is, uh, a, a tightrope walk of, of directorial hubris and getting away with stuff that is absolutely, to me, just, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I literally couldn't believe what I was witnessing and I and I I do not understand uh, why that wouldn't at least give you more joy in the first half than it seems to have. But I, I get it. You, it's not the it's not front row for you. And um, the acting couldn't tank this for me because first and foremost, I felt like this is a highly melodramatic movie. The script is super phony. It's super melodramatic, but also you could say it's super stylized and super like, you know, like a cliches of noir and all these things kind of in this amalgam. So maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's just super like a cartoon and maybe it maybe it's trying to be that. I, I, I don't know. Okay, well, let, let's let's dive into that for a second, because I'll, I'll pull up one one shot that I I didn't. I, I saw what he was doing, but I didn't understand it in, in the sense that when I looked at it, I thought that's an idea he went with and decided to try it. But what 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 narrative purpose did it serve? And the shot I'm talking about is when we when we jump into one of those Rashomon sequences, we flash back in time. And now we're going to see this whole sequence of events that we've already seen but we're going to see them from Stan Shaw's point of view. And we're looking through Stan Shaw's eyes uh, at everything that happened. And then it gets to a certain point in that sequence when Stan Shaw looks in the mirror and without cutting, we're no longer in his POV anymore. We're, we're watching from the outside. So it happens with, within the shot, mm -hmm. the point of view changes and to and when i looked at that i couldn't figure out the narrative reason for it so to me i thought well this is just being fancy for the sake of being fancy because i can and maybe but maybe i missed it maybe there was maybe there was a point to that uh i think the i don't know the only thing i i didn't think there was a point i thought it was an it was an interesting and elegant way to get out of having to see everything through his his literal eyes for a minute i mean you either cut to something else which is the norm the you know the traditional way that you do it and De palma found a new way to make a transition into a slightly different point of view i i, I totally disagree with you on that because i think that the movie is a genius exploration thematically you, you of of the point of view scenario i think it's about point of view it's not really about voyeurism. It's more about point of view. And that's why Rashomon, it's not just a surface connection that it has to it. I mean, you're talking about a movie that is late, that completely layered with the symbolism of eyes looking and cameras looking and, and, and points of views about characters shifting at 
and it's that whole thing is controlled like an orchestra. I mean, it is absolutely phenomenally tight. And there's an aspect to to the stuff that De Palma's interested in that I think I just get really excited about. And some of it's like he gets a little cartoonish and melodramatic and soap opera with the acting and stuff sometimes. And I feel like his heart isn't in sometimes the script or the narrative as much as he is in these in pictures in in thinking in terms of imagery and theme and and pictures and so i just love i just love hanging out with him and watching him make movies i mean i i i just think they're they're uh incredible devices he makes these crazy worlds that are you know really bizarre um but chock full of of thematic development visually and dutch angles when necessary yeah when necessary i love a good dutch angle um uh you know yeah i i i mean there's so much there's so many references and so much film stuff going on. I mean, just to watch like how he stages a stampede out, out of this giant, you know, uh, convention center. Um, he's trying to escape the cage. True maple dragon. You can't escape the cage. You're going to get caged in eventually. Um, you know, just watching the, 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 the incredible, uh, you know, organization of camera and music and, and the, the, the editing of these images. And, and it, it's just to me, so incredibly, uh, um, there's, it's just a cornucopia of amazing stuff. So I, I, the acting, I didn't care for the first hour. And then I cared, then I cared. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Snake eyes is, is a, it's a, <laughs> Snake Eyes is a, is a good, bad movie. <laughs> you know? Um, well, but I think, it's, is... I think it's truly a trashy movie and a stupid idea that is so brilliantly technically achieved that I, 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 have to, I have to admire it. Well, this goes back to something we were talking about last week, which is um, the movie that I would enjoy watching a second time. Mm-hmm. more than I enjoyed watching it the first. Okay. Right. This, talk- that, that goes in this category. Yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that last week. And I think that you you have this, this predisposition and, and love for the kind of movie that you would like watching the second time the first time. Like you're able to put yourself into that headspace the first time you see something. I, uh, I guess so. I don't. I guess. I mean, I think it's partly. I don't know. I I don't know if, what which headspace that is, except for except to say that uh, I'm completely shallow and and stories don't really mean anything to me. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that what, as we talked about it last week, that you have this love of, of everything that you know about what it was like being on that set, making that movie, having this experience. 
Mm-hmm. And I and I look at things, uh, and I'm not. I am. Uh, believe me, this isn't a value judgment. I look at things through a very narrow lens often, and I'll 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 admit that. I'll own that, and and I think that that lens um, probably prevents me from having a lot of enjoyment the first time, because I'm looking for a very specific thing. Well, I mean? yeah, I do. I do. I do know what you mean. And I mean, I think it's safe to say that we do, we are, we do appreciate movies in a different way. Like you, you do. I feel like you, 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 the movies that you love, you adore and you, you know, very well, but there's a, there's a, it's like, you're like a person who loves French food. And you could say that like you love cooking and you love food. And I know you have a wider palate than that, but it's as right. if, you're a person who loves food, but you really only like going to French restaurants. And <laughs> I'm like, I want to go, I'd be like, I want to go to a, a taco place. I want to go to a taco truck. I want to, right. you know, I want to go to a fancy yeah. restaurant. And I'm in, I'm equally enthused about all of it. And I try yeah. to keep it commensurate to what's being offered. Like, okay. in, I don't, I don't. In my defense, I am like that with food. You totally are. You but totally, not, totally. But are. I am not like that with movies. But but it's also it doesn't mean you're not discerning with food. Like you you know the difference between a taco from you know from a, a truck and maybe like a you know mole sauce at a very fancy restaurant. Prefer but the you, truck. You might prefer the truck, but okay. But so so then. Okay, so that's in a way like maybe that's the the same as Snake Eyes. Like you know. Uh, Snake Eyes isn't a fancy restaurant. It doesn't right. have a great script and you know fancy narrative and like tied up beautiful things that make sense. <laughs> doesn't have any of that shit. It's got an amazing, <laughs> an amazing you know first hour that you're just gonna they're just gonna they're just gonna show you things and enter, try to entertain you as much as they humanly possibly can. They're gonna completely exhaust themselves doing it. I, I, I you know. But see, that's it's, why I love doing this show with you, because I would go back and watch Snake Eyes again and and have a completely different experience than I had the first time. Yeah. Well, you know, um, we should see movies together then. <laughs> no, I think and that you can just, point out the narrative that stuff into, that I'm missing. That could turn into fisticuffs in the in the in the <laughs> um, in front of the Ziegfeld. Admittedly, there's a. I'm trying to get a hint. Like you like un, uh, uh, you like um, Untouchables, and yeah. you like you like Carrie, and you liked Carlito's Way. Yeah. Let's get deeper into this. Do you like Body Double? You know, maybe we have to watch that sometime because I haven't seen it for so long. Okay. Do you like? I like Body Double in the Scarface sense that the young Kathleen Turner was in it. Okay, you're in dangerous ground. Do you like <laughs> Scarface? Uh, yes. Okay. My, speaking of opera. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, in fact, I pronounce it Scarface, but um, okay. Uh, that, that I I don't see why, but I I appreciate <laughs> Cause that because it's, it's an Italian <laughs> opera, Scarface. Um, <clears throat> Carrie. Yeah. Phantom of the Paradise. I haven't seen Phantom of the Paradise. Sisters. I don't think I've seen Sisters. Um. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, you know, you like a mixed, you like a mixture of it, because Scarface is a tawdry, tawdry movie. <clears throat> it's no damn good for you that movie, but it's great. No, it's not good for you, but it's, it's great. great. You know, yeah. I think part of it, like part of it for me, uh, it, there's this weird meta thing, I guess, about it, where I'm like, <clears throat> he's he's gonna go to Atlantic City, to the gaudiest place in the world, and deal with the gaudiest characters in the world, and Donald Trump exactly and and he goes 120 percent there that's what i like about de palma he doesn't go like he doesn't try to keep it tasteful he doesn't go like well i'm making a movie about this ridiculous you know atlantic city movie about an assassination plot that will never that's not true that will never happen it's not realistic at all this 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 fall that the that the heavyweight champion takes in this movie it's not i don't believe it I love that actor and that scene is great but as a narrative i'm like this is garbage this is the stupidest i would put i would throw this book in the trash if i was reading this book okay right yep and i think part of part of what i like about de palma he's going like right yeah isn't this it's it's trash but then he finds like a great art in it somewhere he finds like an amazing uh, 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 art in going 120% too far into it. I, I, okay, and, but um... see, plot-wise, that to me, there was a thing with the plot there with the fight and the throwing of the fight that I thought was really fascinating. And um, I didn't feel like De Palma handled it really well in in the storytelling of it, which is the fact that Stanshaw takes a dive, right? He's supposed to throw the fight. And that's supposed to get everybody on in the arena on their feet, which will create a distraction for the moment when the assassination happens. And what clues Nicolas Cage into the fact that, 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 this, that there's a plot going on at all is the fact that when Stanshaw takes the dive, he gets quote-unquote knocked out he pretends to get knocked out hits the canvas the shot rings out and and it startles stan shaw and he opens his eyes so nick cage realizes that he's not unconscious and i thought that that was watch i found out about that later when nick cage describes it you know i saw your eyes open and I thought that if if this film was told narratively more precisely, I would have seen that as an audience member. He That could have been such an amazing moment of seeing his eyes pop open when the shot rings out so that we're clued into the fact that there's something going on. And that that got lost on me. And I hated the way it was revealed to me. Well... As, as they say in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you're digging in the wrong place. <laughs> you're looking for water where there is none. Mm, uh, you need dicks. to be looking for something else. And bad. I think then you would you would find it. Bad dicks. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to find uh, rational, sensible choices. You're not going to find, you know, tight plotting. Um, but, that, I mean, but that's such a great plot point. Yeah, but that's not that's not what he does best. That's not what De Palma really does. That's like okay. that's that's like going to, you know, that's like going to the taco truck expecting to get, you, you know, uh, 
Coco Vin or something. It's like they don't do that there. De Palma's not going to do that. Okay, he makes big, see. sloppy, messy just movies that barely hang together sometimes. But, you know. See, it, now that it, you've it, given me an idea, which is Coco Vin taco <laughs> Fata, um, yeah. and i'm gonna make those I'm that's my strip that's Van. my stripper name now actually i just want taco coco van no, coco van tacos <laughs> coco van tacos very good um, um do you have a um a favorite moment in this movie oh god i mean that's the thing i have a thousand favorite moments every other shot in this movie is a favorite moment when i see when i see things that are that technically just like phenomenally smoothly done and accomplished i'm i'm extremely excited um but if you want to talk about you know like character moments or acting stuff that i thought was good um you mean the stuff that really doesn't matter who cares but but apparently no. it's important to me uh, you know again we're not i you know don't don't bring a don't bring a don't bring a shoe horse to a gunfight, you know? Don't <laughs> it's a different it's apples and oranges. A it's different shoe stuff. Horse. What is a shoe horse? Is that a thing? I don't know. I'm, I'm not from let's, just, let's let's keep on let's try to keep to the the I'm not what we're talking with about. a shoe let's horse. Keep on track on the movie what we're talking about. Okay. I do have a number of things I, I do moments I like. I love I love um I do love a small scene where uh right after Gary Sinise kills two of his, um, his own personal, um, associates. Uh, well, he, he shoots one of them in the back and the other one he shoots and they're not dead yet. And that guy has a moment that is absolutely incredible to me. He starts, he's kind of goes into shock. And as Sinise is approaching him, he's going to shoot him again. He starts just talking to him and saying, I I've been shot. I've been shot, like, help me. And and doesn't realize that he's going to get shot again. Like, he doesn't know that Sinise has done this to him. I, I right. thought that was one of the better death scenes I've, I've seen in ages. Uh, I love that. And I love dearly, if you want to, again, talk about acting contributions. Not a long conversation we could have about this movie, but <laughs> um, I am, I'm, I'm totally all in on... Um, on that heavyweight, that heavyweight box character, uh, I think that Stan Shaw is is great in it, and he has a moment that broke my heart, like as a as go. a performance. Stan, that's what I have written down. He he Where... talks about what it's like to have fixed this fight and taken a fall, and what it did to him mentally. That is, uh, it really gets you choked up. I think we have a. I sent this to you, right? Yeah. Um, but the, the, the moment that I have also involves him and it's, it's the flip side of that moment. It's the moment you're talking about the moment where he describes it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's the moment when he's in the ring, when it happens, Oh, it's they great. The shot of him after he almost knocks out his opponent and he realizes that he can, and that he's not going to, it's a great close up, and it broke my heart. It's fantastic. But you have this, uh, clip you want me to play. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. It, it's him talking to Nick Cage about uh, his decision. Okay, here we go. I think here we go. We're going right. somewhere. We're going somewhere. Hold on. It's Snake ease. It's coming at some point. Why is it not playing? Well, this is going. This is going <laughs> this poorly. Is, 
this is not going the way it's supposed to go. Okay, I see what I did wrong. Here we go. I have to share the screen and then I have to hit the thing and press the button and share. And then. If I say yes, can we cut some kind of deal? You don't need a deal. I'm not going to say anything to anybody. You pay me back the 10 grand I lost plus $500 for shaming the ring, and I forgive you. What'd you do it for? You can't need the money. You got to be worth millions. They didn't tell me they were going to kill somebody. Who? Who didn't tell you? See, you just don't understand. I just gave away the one thing I know that makes me me. The heavyweight championship. Now that I don't even have that, I don't even know who I am anymore. What they have on you. You know, and it's it's not even good dialogue, to be totally honest. It's really cheesy. And the yeah. fact that he can do what he did with that and he gets so choked up and he holds it back with dialogue that I don't know how if I would be able to deliver that you know it's not really it's very melodramatic yeah it's up there with my least favorite line that Nick Cage has to say to Gary Sinise when he says you're my best friend and you used me made me a sucker and that hurts because I would have done anything for you yeah now here we go. Like, yeah, all of that. I I agree with you. It's 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 not on point. The script is not my favorite. It it goes all over. The narrative is um, is kind of a mess. It's kind of melodramatic and silly. Hey, take it easy. I'm not talking to you. Not that's talking Anthony. To you. That's Anthony <clears throat> talking to his cat. Um, that happens all day long. Um, and you know, um, the cat totally made me forget what I was talking about too. That's the thing. He you were talking about how it's not on the dialogue's not oh. on point, but that's not the point. Well, to me, I, I got so much out of the the thematic development of these characters and how he, how De Palma and I guess maybe Cap, um, create these really bold statements and and really challenge us to follow them thematically through their visual how we're how they're telling us visually and how they're imparting information about characters visually how you know everything's about point of view the whole movie's about point of view and it constantly shifts right nick cage our point of view about nick cage's character in the first 20 minutes is that he is a complete creep he's a misogynist he's a he's a he's a crooked cop he's a He's got a gambling problem. He clearly has a coke problem, even though we don't see him doing blow. He's very coked up. He's obnoxious. Um, he's a loudmouth. Uh, he uh, and we 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 assume because of the thing these things that he's also a, a terrible cop. On top of being a womanizer, ch cheating men and men male friends and and you know he's just a bad guy. We also think he's stupid. He's dressed like a moron. And then something interesting happens. He changes clothes. He changes his shirt, very importantly. His, his Hawaiian shirt, which looks like snakeskin, you know? He gets blood on it or something. No, he has to go in front of the TV camera. He's like, I gotta go on TV. I can't go on TV like this. So he has to borrow a shirt. He gets a white shirt, doesn't go with his suit. It doesn't look great, but he changes his image 
And in that moment, then he goes in to have a conversation with the fighter and he quickly turns the tables and shows us that he's in fact a quite smart cop and very capable. And he can manage a room full of people and take control of a situation and then have a heart to heart with this guy and get to the bottom of it very rapidly. Our point of view has completely changed about him, but it's so tied to the visual of his costume choice. It all to me goes back to like strangers on a train, like it's very Hitchcock, where you've got these mm -hmm. two characters, Gary Sinise and him. You see them in the first shot together and they're best friends. One of them is dressed literally as an admiral. He's an admiral. He's like, got a fancy uniform on. Sidebar, really should be a taller actor to wear admiral clothes. These sailor clothes don't look good on you if you're short. I, it, I'm sorry. <laughs> they wrote this part for Will Smith. That's that's what I'm talking about. Six foot four, he could wear that costume. Gary Sinise okay. looks like he's in a Halloween show. But <laughs> the two of them together, best friends, right? One is in an admiral outfit. The other is in this completely the slime ball like Vegas outfit. And then their uniforms become, they become different things. They mean different things. His medals get blood on them at the end. And the way he responds to that, Sinise getting that, that insult of the blood on his medals, which is there, you know, thematically anyway, that's the level of fascination I have with with character and theme and development of it in terms of a visual approach that I find so exciting about De Palma's stuff. It's not that, there's no finesse to the acting. It's not that well thought out in terms of actor logic, but in terms of movie logic and, and you know, a lot of homage to Hitchcock and other great filmmakers, which is always part of De Palma's thing. And then, and then new ways of giving you visual information that part of filmmaking and the enjoyment of going to movies is there 120% for me. Um, the fact that he can take a theme like, you know, the idea of, of, of uh, a point of view, which implies an eye looking at something, right? And, and reflect that a thousand different ways in this movie. You could say that he goes too far or that it's like, you know, enough already. But that's not, you know, that's, that's what makes it opera. And it's like cinema opera. So he's going to give you eyeballs in the, in the wallpaper. Just like, you know, Kubrick would give you these mazes in his wallpaper in The Shining. Like he's, he's De Palma's doing his own version of this. The art direction that talks to the themes that are going on. The kinds of colors that he's using, use behind actors at certain times when they'll become somebody else in our eyes. It's like right after that moment that Gary Sinise makes that, does that look in that tracking shot and right. Nick Cage walks away and we just see uh, Gary Sinise look at him just like a beat too long. Like, yeah. And it's, we go, oh, something's up here. Yeah. In that same shot, there's a missile going through his head from the, in the background and an American flag. And the next thing he does after we go, there's something up with him. He goes into a doorway and enters a completely red environment. Like it looks like 2001 red. Right. Not realistic, but at that level, orchestrating all of those things, I'm just so impressed, man. Just so impressed. I got to stop watching the story. 
Well, you know, I mean, not all movies are are work that level either. So, you know, I think, you know, De Palma is definitely a matter of taste for a lot of people. He's, you know, it's hard because it seems like high art, but it's also really trashy. And, and he kind of makes high art out of trash and, and that he loves that. And that's a right. strange place to try to take movies seriously at because, you know, of all that baggage, but... Did you notice the line from um, Carlito's Way in this movie? Oh, yeah. Here comes the pain, right? Here comes the pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, from that great moment in the bathroom before he comes out of the bathroom with the unloaded gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, granted, Carlito's Way, you got a sequence like that with a performance, a character that's drawn by an actor like Pacino, where you're you really believe you believe in the veracity of this human being. Like you really think this is a person. If not He's, the accent, if not the accent, exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of soul there. Pacino's got yeah. so much soul, you know? And, um, you know, that, that Pacino's the kind of actor that probably like, you know, demanded that kind of attention to the acting part of that movie. And De Palma clearly can bring it when he's working with actors of that caliber. But I think, and when he's working with a different bunch, he's like, well, we're making a, let's make a melodrama. Let's make a crazy cartoon like okay. melodrama. And that's how I took it. Do I think my favorite line in this movie is uh, Gary Sinise's line to, to Nick Cage when he explains to him the whole plot and what's going to happen now. And he says, that's called the first draft of history and it's going to hold. And that idea of that we have we have orchestrated the cover up, the news has it, and and it's done. You know, it's never going to go back. And yeah. I loved that. Yeah, that was a, that was a great moment. And, that, and that's the parallax view moment mm -hmm. in this movie. I was blown away by like the introduction of uh, what is it called? It's called the zero gravity flying eye. So in a yeah. movie that's all about eyeballs, literally, like it's about eyeballs and looking at things. Right. That's the plot for De Palma. I'm right. convinced. <laughs> I mean, it starts with, you know, the Daily Planet globe, which looks like an eyeball. It's got right. like nerves attached to it. You know, it's like the first image we see. When they when they get to this zero gravity flying eye that is basically just a drone blimp that flies around the interior of this Madison Square Garden place like in Atlantic City the convention center and it's literally a god's eye point of view it can see everything right. it can go anywhere and it can see anything because it's got cameras right. on it and it flies around now it's since it's all about POV changing the big crisis for, for, for Cage's character is that he's actually true blue he, we think he's this creep who doesn't have any morals. And it turns out he is so moral that he believes so much in his friend and his friend's goodness and, and in his alma mater and in the ethics of sports that he literally can't handle it when Gugino says, this guy's corrupt. He's like, I can't do it. You can't tell me that. He loses right. it, right? Yeah. So the big crisis moment is putting all these different points of view together, all these different camera feeds that he's looking at, looking at the crime from all these different angles that's been picked up by all these different cameras. 
And then he gets introduced to the gravity, the zero gravity flying eye, which is essentially God. God's point of view. Yeah. And when he sees God's point of view, that's all point of views. That's all of them all together. Right. He has his crisis of his crisis of faith with the image of the American flag kind of hazy in the window as he's having this moment. Yeah. And his life is never going to be the same. Like he literally changes his point of view, changes who he is as a human being. Now, I think that's to me, that's actually kind of great storytelling. It's just not about, you know, it's not about. And and as Gary Sinise says, that wasn't supposed to be there. Right. That that there was not supposed to be an all encompassing point of view. Right. Right. Interesting. I like that. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, I'm hopefully I've made a case that there are things in the story or the narrative that are really actually well threaded, just not in the way that is pleasing to people looking for rational characters and believable right. interactions with people. Cause that's not going to happen. No, once again, you know, I think, uh, this part, one of the themes of this show is that you, uh, educate me. Oh, and now really? I like do. the I like the sound of this. Tell me you more do. about that. I think we should change the name of the show to uh, Anthony Arkin educates his brother. Well, um, no, it, it's it's this is sort of turning into Science Friday, you know, with the guy who knows a lot about science and the skeptical guy <laughs> who asks the stupid questions, and you know, you know, you know that show Science Friday. I don't. Yeah, we'll listen to a couple of episodes of Science Friday, and I'll be yeah. I'll be the guy who doesn't know a lot and gets that's educated. not true. Yeah. But see, you could counter you could counter and say, yeah, but think how great this would be if you did all that and you actually cared about the people. Well, I I don't want to say that. That's too easy. If I if I waited for movies to be as good as you need them to be to entertain you, you wouldn't be I would, entertained. I would that. never. I wouldn't. There's. I wouldn't go to the movies. Yeah, but then you're, but see, then I can get completely lost for weeks on end on, on shows that are objectively bad in terms of production values and, and not so, you know, not such great acting or anything, but very, very plot driven. And I, and, and I love, you know, I'm in the midst of, of, um, a 21 episode British uh, forensic drama called Silent Witness. And I'm not going to make a case that this is high art, but boy, you know, put me into those forensic procedurals and try and figure out the tightly woven plot, mm. character driven plot. Yeah. And I'll, I'll sit through the crappiest filmmaking in the world to watch that. Oh man, and we're that, that's where we're different. Yeah, and that's you, exactly you know, where we're different. I mean, I can't, you and I, yeah. Dad will kill yourselves watching Law and Order, and I'm like, "What are you talking about? Did you see? How, you know, it's like." Yeah, I can't do it. I have. Yeah. I can't do it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. Clearly, I would watch any any nonsensical visual stimulus other than other than a, that dry biscuit. And that's not just because <laughs> I've auditioned all my life and never been on the freaking show. And I've done eight episodes. So I'm going to say this right here on the air live. (laughs) Screw you, Law and Order. (laughs) Don't need you. Lived my whole life without you. Don't need you. Don't want to be on the shows now. I don't care how many of them you make. Here's it. I'm not going to be on it. Yeah. And see some of my proudest moments. We're on Law and Order. 
Yeah. You were you had great moments on that show. I I did an episode of Law and Order where after it uh, after it ran, women were stopping me on the street in Manhattan, and calling me a son of a bitch. At least w women were talking to you because my my wife on the show was raped and got pregnant and decided to keep the baby, and I left her, and people were very they upset. Took that, with they me. they well understandably. And my response every time was to say, first of all, it's a television show. And more importantly, she lied to me. Mm -hmm. That was my response. Well, I, I wish I knew what it was like to get stopped in the street based on your acting work. It wasn't my acting work. It was the plot. And dun, Mabel Dragon yes. says, dun, dun. Exactamente. <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah, there, we, we have a bad relationship, me and Law and & Order, and I, 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 feelings are mutual. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. But uh, Amelia's been on the show as well. I have, you know, she's been great on the show too. And Many Mom. friends. And, yeah, everybody and Mom, I know. Mom. Every actor in New York has been on it except for me. Well, um, I had a talk with Suzanne Ryan about you. What can I say? Who's that? Lynn Kressel. You know. Who's that? <laughs> um, uh, so next week, more Nick Cage. More The cage match continues. In face, forward slash, off. Yeah, boy. But I believe it's just called face off. But I, If you had trouble with this one, I can only imagine how much fun you're going to have with face off. Well, you know, maybe now I'm prepared. Maybe now I am primed for for a little cage. Okay, okay. Um, look, it's not he is not. It's not for everybody. Uh, but you know, All right. but uh, there are pleasures there, deep pleasures in the in the the cage milieu. All right. Um, what can I say? Okay, well, uh, to take the time, if you are watching this show or listening to the podcast, take the time to watch Face Off this week and join us next week for our discussion because, as you know, we do spoilers constantly. That's and Maple Dragon says, John, woo-hoo! That's right. Very this nice. Is, this is going to be some filmmaking we're going to so, see. Yeah, it's going to be some good, good stuff. So thanks for joining us. Tune in next week and uh, enjoy the movies. Good night, sir. Good night. You've been listening to the Arkin Brothers Talk About Movies. That's my brother, Matthew Arkin. And that's my brother, Anthony Arkin. And we are interesting, irreverent, and irrelevant. But you can follow us on Instagram anyway. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch. And you can do it all on our website. Just follow the link on your podcast app. Or if you really want to stalk us, head over to arkinbros.com. You'll learn more about us than anyone would ever want to know.